Blue skies with the occasional white puffy cloud drifting by. That is a forecast for the Mets' home opener today, but maybe also for the season. To paraphrase not Willie Mays, but Willie Nelson, blue skies were indeed smiling at Mets fans on the opening road trip. Nothing but blue skies did they see, except for a couple of retina-burning eighth innings. But five wins by Wednesday afternoon made the Mets the winningest team in baseball one week in. Can they keep the good times rolling? We'll explore that possibility as we wish you a very happy home opener 2022. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning, oh yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin, a scoodily down. 60 home openers in the history of the New York Mets. What indelible memory will be carved out today? Gary Carter, may he rest in peace, had a walk-off home run. The most random opening day hero ever, Colin Calgill, at an opening day grand slam. It is now a fresh sheet of ice, a fresh tub of Play-Doh, a totally blank canvas as the first of 81 home games gets played in Flushing, Queens. Josh Lewin with you, celebrating the one-day bunting is also a noun, not just a verb. That red, white, and blue frou-frou that'll hang from the stand certainly gets your attention, as does the pageantry of the teams lining up on the foul lines, Always a stirring national anthem. And this year, the statue of Tom Seaver being unveiled outside City Field at 10.30 in the a.m. out by the home run apple near the rotunda. The sculptor, William Barons, will be at the ceremony. Steve and Alex Cohen will be there. Tom Seaver's widow, Nancy, will be there. There are two daughters, among other dignitaries. The statue is 10 feet high. 13 and a half feet long, made of 2,000 pounds of bronze, 1,200 pounds of structural stainless steel, sits on a granite mound that came in nine separate pieces. Slap it all together, 33,600 pounds. That's like, what, 10 Bartolo Colones. Speaking of starting pitchers, the Mets have a starting rotation with a 5-0 record and a 129 ERA. Opponents have produced a 437 OPS against that starting five. Former Mets backup catchers Mike Nickius and Ron Reynolds also had OPSs of 437 in their Mets careers, just to put that in perspective. Every hitter so far against the Mets starting pitchers been either Ron Reynolds or Mike Nickius. Now, Taiwan Walker's bursitis diagnosis will cost him a start or two, but so far so great, even without DeGrom, especially following that three-game stretch against a very scary Phillies lineup where David Peterson, Tyler McGill, and Max Scherzer combined to allow one run. Scherzer's the one guy that allowed a run. Kind of a slog of a performance for him Wednesday in some ways that, uh, well, actually makes you kind of impressed because he had to compete. He had nominal stuff. He still shut down the Phillies. So this weekend, the Mets are taking on Torrey Lavello's two and four Arizona Diamondbacks, who have lost 10 games straight at City Field. We'll scout him out real quick for you. You go back to 2017, the first three years of Torrey Lavello's tenure, this team was actually trending upward. They made the playoffs that first year he was on board. They won 82 games the next year, 85 after that. Their GM, Mike Hazen, seemed pretty good at building a roster. Then 2020 happened. They were last in the NL West, but whatever, no big deal, right? It's a COVID season. Well, actually, it led to an even worse season, 52-110 and 110 last year. Nothing attractive about that team last year. Their offense was bad. Their pitching was terrible. Their ballpark is kind of falling apart. 
only one player hit 20 home runs for them, and he was dealt away at the deadline, and he is now a Met. That is Eduardo Escobar. Ketel Marte was held only 90 games because he was hurt a lot, but he did hit 318, and he's back on a big contract. They're pitching, though. Wow. I mean, wins, losses, strikeout percentage, GRA, saves, opponents' OPS, opponents' exit velocity, name it, they were dead last last year. Madison Bumgarner has been a big disappointment since coming to the desert. 5.07 ERA in his 35 starts. Still three more years on his deal. It's worth $60 million. Former Met Oliver Perez is a Diamondback. Needs one appearance for 700 in his career. He'll become the 22nd pitcher in the modern era to get to 700 games and 1,500 strikeouts. Zach Davies will get the ball for Arizona today. Three career starts at City Field, 6.75 ERA. Chris Bassett for the Mets. And Seabass, as he's known, making his first start in a home Mets uniform. How great was he in his season debut at Washington? Saturday, it's another day game, another Zach on the mound for Arizona. Zach Gallon at this time, meaning the Mets are in full-blown battle with the Zach attack right now. Three of four games, somehow, someone named Zach will be the opposing pitcher. They're coming off a wheeler. Now they get Davies and Gallon. The Mets have had, if you're scoring at home, Zach Lutz. They've had Zach Wheeler. They've had Pat Zachary, if, if that's of any help. And for you old-timers, you'll remember, Pat Zachary looked like he'd he had just come ashore on a raft, long, scraggly beard, skinny guy, wore number 40, just like Bassett will wear today, and Bartolo Colon wore that number too. Colon, literally 110 pounds heavier than Pat Zachary, who was a Texan with a temper. Go back to 1978, when he was off to his best start as a Met, he gave up a hit to Pete Rose, which extended Pete Rose's hitting streak to 38. Joe Torre took Zachary out of the game, then in frustration as he came in the dugout, and he tried to kick a helmet on the concrete steps. He missed, and he broke his foot and ended his season. Then there's the uh, hilarious mismatch fight of 1980 after Pat Zachary beamed the Penguin, Ron Say, who charged the mound and managed to hit Zachary right around his left thigh or so. And Patrick Paul Zachary, the most Abe Lincoln-looking pitcher the Mets have ever had, did not go down. Poetic, I guess. We're talking about Pat Zachary today since the Tom Seaver statue was getting unveiled because Pat Zachary was one of the big pieces that came the other way in that horrific deal with Cincinnati, the least popular trade in the history of the franchise. Nobody remembers this because of the Tom Seaver trade, but Pat Zachary actually shared the 1976 Rookie of the Year award with another future Met, Butch Metzger. But Pat Zachary was a guy who should have been great It was only decent at best. All right, speaking of pitching, we have an extended interview for you today from back in spring training that we taped with the Mets Senior Advisor of Pitching Development, Phil Regan, formerly the actual Mets pitching coach and a pitching coach for several other big league teams as well. A senior citizen now from a small town, Michigan, who has also managed teams in the Venezuelan Winter League, Dominican Winter League for basically 30 years. He was a manager for the Orioles in 95 when Cal Ripken became the Iron Man. But in Phil Regan's pitching career, he made it through 13 big league seasons. Tigers, Dodgers, Cubs, White Sox. He was a National League All-Star in 66. That's the year he went 14-1 with a 1.62 ERA as a reliever and picked up the nickname the Vulture, which has now stuck to him for, what, 58 years or something? Wow. We pick up the interview noting Phil Regan is now 85 years years old. And not to be Willard Scott here, but I asked him, what is the secret of that? 
I think that just the thing that keeps me going is I've always been active in sports. You know, I was in high school and college. I played football, basketball, baseball. I've taken up golf. Uh, I go down to the Dominican in the winter. I threw batting practice till I was 80 years old. And, and I think just keeping busy as opposed to retiring yeah. and sitting in front of the television and watching that, uh, I, I just keep busy. And uh, I, I think I've been blessed with, with a body. I, you know, I played 17 years and was never on the d- disabled list. So that, that, that probably is, is a good thing, too, that you've never been hurt or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I want, to, I want to go back to that because that is kind of a, a marvel. I mean, you know, arms are not built to withstand the rigors of pitching. We all know that. Are you a freak of nature, or did you do something along the way that helped you with that? I, I think uh, this, is, this is amazing when I see it today because we really limit the number of innings a pitcher can pitch now in the minor leagues and the major leagues. There, there are very few. I think there are only five or six in the major leagues last year that pitched 200 innings. Uh, my my rook, my first year in professional baseball was in Jamestown, New York. I was 19 years old, come off the farm. I pitched 229 innings. As a 19-year-old. As a 19-year-old. Yeah. And, and no one ever asked me if I was tired. But I think the biggest thing is I grew up on a little farm and from the time I was 10, 12, 13 years old was, was baling hay, putting up the hay, throwing it up in the mow and, and, and I probably didn't realize it but really uh, I did a lot of it with my right arm and probably strengthened my rotator cuff and all, sure. the, all the shoulder muscles and just was lucky I never, I never had a sore arm. And I would think too growing up in Michigan where you really only can play baseball four or five months a year. If you've grown up in San Diego and you're playing it 12 months a year, is it maybe different? Well, it's true and, and you know I, people people don't believe this, but I, I never had a baseball uniform until I got in high school. Really? I never played never played any little league ball. Uh, we, they didn't have it. They just didn't have it right, at that time. Right. So we got into high school, and then we started. I was fortunate that we had a, a coach in, in a high school, a small school. Uh, he had a summer recreation program, and he took us all over the state playing mm-hmm. and uh, on an American Legion team. And we'd play not only in high school, but maybe 50, 60 games during the summer, which, which really helped us, I think. So you, I go back to your actual playing career. I want to do that if you don't mind for just a little bit. And, and you know, for those that don't know, uh, for, for your Tigers, that's great. But I think people remember you as a Dodger and a Cub. Uh, you became the vulture, obviously, uh, for Walter Alston out there. I guess that was in '66. Right. Were you aware when you were piling up all those wins and only lost the one time? I, I, at what point did you think that that was? life-changing for you because I mean you got a nickname out of it you got a whole I mean it's gonna be the the lead sentence on your epitaph when you're 120 years old and and finally uh, leave this mortal coil Uh, did you know that that was a thing when it was going on no I I really didn't and you know even after after my playing career was over and uh, I I didn't know that the name stuck but when I came back people would say oh you're the vulture you remember that and they kind of remember and I think because Koufax was the one that said it, yeah. uh, that probably was more why it stuck. But, yeah, it was life-changing. But uh, in Detroit, I'd been a starting pitcher, uh, and I think back to it now that I probably should have been a relief pitcher all, all my life because I had a good slider, I had a good sinker in fastball, didn't have much of a curveball, never had a changeup. And, uh, you know, I, I won some games starting, but uh, I'd go five or six innings, but never never completed a lot of games And uh, uh, at, the, at that point. And so then when I went into relief, you know, I had a, an arm that I could I could pitch every day. At one time in Chicago, I pitched in eight straight games. And so it, I just was fortunate that I had an arm that I could, I could pitch a lot. Is there ever a time and a way that we can get back to hearing about somebody pitching in eight straight games <laughs> or going 220 innings? Or, or are we just so far past that it's never coming back? Well, I think with... 
I, I think it's beyond everybody. Uh, if you look in 1966, I looked it up the other day, we had 66 complete games as a staff. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think the Mets had one last year, right. if I remember. And uh, so it's it's kind of a thing of the past with the analytics that come in, uh, all the modern. You know, there's there's so much more. We had a trainer, and now they 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 have so much medical and, and, and analytics and and people that are performance that tell you if you're if you're working overwork and uh, try to keep you from getting an injury. I, I don't think we'll. I, don't, I, I would be very surprised if we see us go back yeah. to that. You know, back to, to your time as a coach, you know, I remember when you were the pitching coach for the Indians when the strike hit in 94. Uh, what, what a crying shame because uh, you're, you're looking to finally win some jewelry here as a coach, and uh, that team, I thought, was set up to do such beautiful things. Uh, what, what a juggernaut of a team you were with. Well, you're right. And, Josh, I can go back further than that. In 66, when we we won the pennant in L.A., and, we, you know, at that time you didn't have playoffs, you just went right into the World sure. Series. And we, we were so happy because, uh, you know, you, you think you're either going to get a you're going to get a World Series ring or you're going to get a National League Championship ring. Well, we lost in four straight to Baltimore, and uh, Walter O'Malley never gave us a ring. He said, losers don't get really? rings. Really? Wow. So, and, we, so we never got well, a World Series ring. And, and in 69, everybody thought you were set up for one with oh, the yeah, Cubs. Yeah. And I don't mean to, to go there, but yeah. you're a Met now, yeah. so let's go there. Uh, what was that like being on the receiving end of that? We talk all the time with the Mets guys from 69. But what was it like when that avalanche was coming down the hill the wrong way? Well, it, it was really disappointing because Chicago hadn't won in so long. And the fans were so excited there. They, I mean, they would wait outside and they would they, the bleacher bums were in left field and they were jumping over the field. <laughs> which is why that basket yeah. is up there now uh, to keep the fans out. Uh, and, and so that was disappointing. But we had like an eight-and-a-half game lead with, in August. Uh, I can remember calling home in September we, with 25 games. We still had a five-game lead. And you think, you know, five games in 25, you're going to win, you know. But we lost, I think, by eight games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, once they were coming, they, they, they were just, coming. We knew we were in trouble, I think, when we were in St. Louis playing a game. And the Mets won a doubleheader in Pittsburgh, one to nothing, and one to nothing. Right. Both games. And the pitchers drove in both runs. Yeah. Uh, in those games. That so. was a harbinger for yeah. sure. So, uh, continuing, uh, if you don't mind, because again, your, your resume is just so eclectic and interesting. The one time you managed in the big leagues, uh, there's Cal Ripken, and it's all about Cal Ripken in Baltimore. And, you know, you've got a great baseball mind, had a heck of a pitching staff, too, by the way, uh, but, but a pitching coach that you trusted. How interesting of a year was 1990? in Baltimore well it, it was really interesting it, and it, and I don't think anyone could could uh, understand what what the coaching staff went through there because we were the only team in the major leagues that didn't have replacement players sure. we didn't play any games we watched our triple-a team it came Sunday night uh, the, the season the spring training was over we still weren't settled we were going to start the season on Tuesday in the major leagues and Roland Heeman came to us and said we're going to send you home for uh, 10 days, two weeks, and we'll call you and tell you what we want you to do. So we, we were going to forfeit 144 games. We we had no team. We had none. We didn't right. have a replacement player because our owner didn't didn't believe in him. And you're a new manager. You and finally waited manager. for this opportunity, and this is it. <laughs> hey, I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I've been in the National League most of the time. Been in the American League a little time, but I'm I'm got to learn the players. Yeah. So we had we finally settled it, and we came in and we had five days of practice. We played eight games. 
Uh, Mike Mussina opened the season in Kansas City for us. On Friday. He, he had pitched two innings in spring training, and he went four <laughs> innings that day. Wow. So we, we started off really, really slow, but th- there was a time when, you know, as a manager and, and players, the players got to know you and you got to know the players. And, and it takes a while for them to, to understand your personality and maybe me to understand theirs. Uh, and, and, but it was about midway through the season, we seemed to, we seemed to get it together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at the end, we won 15 out of 18 games and, uh, and finished third. Uh, and I thought, well, we got a chance. Uh, we, you know, you talk about our pitching. We were supposed to have a great pitching staff, and we did at the end. But in the beginning, we had Sid Fernandez, who didn't win a game. Uh, we had uh, uh, McDowell had a, had a bad arm. Right. Uh, uh, we we had some guys that uh, Arthur Rhodes was supposed to be going to be a had pitched two good games the year before and he looked like he was going to be a good starter, but he didn't, he only won one game all That's year. Right. So we had to replace a lot of those uh, uh, to get to get some guys in there. What was your experience with Sid? Because by the time he landed in Baltimore, I mean obviously Met fans remember him as El Sid ten years before yeah. that. Uh, what was he like to? to work with and, and, and just kind of have on that staff? Well, one, one of the things we asked our pitchers we, as we, before this started was that as you come in, we want you to come in and shape because we wanted you to run a certain, I don't know, half a mile or a mile the first day, and uh, to, and that was going to be part of our running. And uh, he came in in great shape, and I, I was surprised. And <laughs> I don't know, maybe, you know, sometimes Mickey Lowlich, when he lost weight, couldn't pitch. So right, right. Let him gain some, maybe that was what happened with him. I don't know, but he, he just he came in in great shape, and we were really excited about it. And yeah, it just didn't work. Didn't, yeah. It didn't work out. So, uh, finally, Phil, as you work with these young Mets that are aspiring, I mean, they're minor leaguers, they're trying to get to, to be actual New York Mets. Uh, what I'm fascinated by is here you are, as we say, in your mid-80s, Maybe it helps that you look like you're in your mid 60s and not your mid 80s. But is there any push pull with these, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds? Does this generation look at you like, who's this guy because he's older than me? Or do they want to be coached by somebody who's 30? Or are they cool with, you know, this guy must know what he's doing? Yeah. I, I, I think it's maybe a little bit of both uh, because I've been here 15 years with them. Uh, I know a lot of the, you know, uh, I had Jake DeGrom when he was down here. I, you know, I had well, and he can vouch for you, right? Yeah, I mean, he yeah. vouched for me. And Syndergaard and, and Mats and, uh, you know, all, Wheeler and all those guys that came through here, Familia and you know, a lot of the other ones. And so that, that word kind of goes on down. And, and I think the other thing is when you, when you work with someone, yeah, they they don't forget it. They they remember what you were doing, and and uh, the word kind of spreads that you know he helped me do this or he helped me do that, and and uh, you know it's just it's a matter of getting on on the on the right side of them so they understand you. And and here's another thing, Josh. I think it is important. I used to tell the players here, I'm not looking to get to the big leagues. I, I got 23 years in the big league, so I'm not looking to get there. I want you guys to get there. You know, I don't, I don't care about me. I'm not using you to get me yeah, to the major league. Right, they're I'm, not I'm your not, meal ticket. No, right. not yeah. at all. I, I'm happy here in St. Lucie. I've had, like I say, 23 years, and but I, I, I like to, it. Really. Uh, is is good for me when I see one of my players go yeah. to the big leagues. I'm, I'm really happy for him. Very last one, I promise. Since you mentioned Degrom, when was it that you thought he could be what he is now? Well, it was during during the time, and he he'd, he'd been at Columbia, and Ron Romanic was the pitching coordinator here, and we had kind of targeted him as being one of, you know, he he wasn't as good as he is now. I, I never saw him throw a hundred down here, uh, but he was pretty good, but. And one of the, one of the things we told the the organization, they said, "Who do you, who who 
you, Ron, and you, who do you think is going to be the next guy to come along for us? And uh, both of us said DeGrom, you know. And uh, he, he, then they said, no, not, not DeGrom. Because he was a converted shortstop. Yeah. He was learning. But he's been pretty good. <laughs> I, I would dare say. Phil, continued success to you both here and in the Dominican, where I know you've done a great job as well. So great catching up. Thanks, Russ. Many thanks to Phil Regan, now working closely with those Mets minor leaguers. And we'll close the podcast with a look at some early returns from the minors here in 2022 in just a moment. All right, attention getters and the minors. No one at Syracuse so far. Carlos Cortez is 4 for 20. Mark Vientos is 3 for 20. The whole team is hitting 162. They have scored 11 runs in seven games. So let's go to double-A, where it's all happening in Binghamton. Brett Beatty is 11 for 23. He's hitting 478. Four doubles, seven runs, four multi-hit performances in his first five games. The young catcher, 20-year-old Francisco Alvarez, he's 7 out of 16. Two doubles, three home runs, eight runs batted in in four games. Ronnie Mauricio, the stud shortstop, is 7 for 22 with three doubles. And the kid that's down at single A, Alex Ramirez, we don't talk about him a lot, but he's started out 12 for 21 for St. Lucie. I do believe that is a 571 batting average. All right, podcast train pulling into the station. Please check your immediate seating area. Make sure you've left nothing behind. Hope you are taking public transportation, by the way, to City Field on opening day. It'll save you a lot of hassle, in theory. On keyboards, as we meet the Mets in the Morning house band, ladies and gentlemen, that was Damian Easley. Slapping to bass, Tommy Hunter. The horn section, Ray Sadecki. And your drummer, Wilmer Font. This is Josh Lewin wishing you a very safe and happy home opener. Hope it goes well, obviously, for Seabass and the rest of the fellas. We'll be back with a, uh, I guess, Weekend in Review podcast. Let you know how it all went over the weekend, first thing Monday morning. Take care. Let's go, Mets.